been preaching through Deuteronomy, and we're going to do a little bit of that again tonight. So as we enter into Deuteronomy, um, I want to remind us a little bit of the structure. We've been doing this here on Sunday afternoons, but also on Wednesday evenings in our Taste and See Garden Edition. Deuteronomy is a covenant, and in its own context, Deuteronomy has the shape of a covenantal contract. It starts that way, sort of right very much at the beginning. How do I know that it's a, con- a contract and a covenant? Let me tell you how I know. Um, if I were to put this up for you, I so-and-so take you so-and-so as my friend and love beside and apart from me in laughter and in tears and conflict and tranquility, asking you, if I put that up there, what do you automatically know this is? Marriage vows, right? Even though they're not the traditional ones, are they? You can still tell, even though the words are a little bit different than what we typically say um, from the Book of Common Prayer, this is, you can tell, right? Right away. The Book of Deuteronomy functions similarly. Um, It has in these chapter sections here, the same type of construct that we find in Hittite or Assyrian ancient Near Eastern treaties of around the same time. Like we have a preamble and a historical prologue and then stipulations, blessings and curses, a witness, and then a ratification ceremony of the covenant. All of Deuteronomy functions that way. As much as it is Moses's farewell speech and all of that, it's also very much framed in this covenant contract type language and setting. So as we look then at some of the terms of the covenant, what's, how does a covenant work or a contract, right? Like if, if we sign one together, there's typically like you're going to do this and I'm going to do this and then we sign off, right? Yeah? Um, Kevin will take care of me when I'm sick. I'll take care of Kevin when he's sick, maybe. And then we, I just started, right? And then so that's the contract. You agree to those terms of the covenant. So as we look then at, let's say, just one term of the covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 24, you shall not deprive a resident stranger or an orphan of justice. You shall not take a widow's garment in pledge. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. So how are we doing? Not so good. We might need to revisit the terms of our covenant. Recently, and this is unfortunately not new, and it's not new to this administration, um, although I'd say that the uh, number of people being impacted by it because of the number of people fleeing violence has increased, um, and the wanton cruelty that seems to be permitted and sometimes celebrated, things are on the rise. And then this week we heard um, a very difficult report, did we not? A team of lawyers went down and visited a detention center that they did not even know was detaining children. And they interviewed over 60 children in that facility in Clint, Texas. And the group that visited found that 250 children were imprisoned at the station without their families or any adults. And they're being held in squalid and dangerous surroundings. And Holly Cooper, an attorney and director of the UC Immigration Law Center, said that in her 22 years of doing visits with children in detention, she has never seen this level of inhumanity. It's not new, but we're becoming aware of it this week as a result of the good work of 
journalists and human rights advocates and attorneys. We've seen the worst conditions that we've seen in the last three years of conducting these visits. That in the last week at Ursula and this week at the Clint border facility, we are seeing sick children, we are seeing dirty children, we are seeing hungry children, we're seeing children who have been separated from their parents and other family members, children who within the facility are being separated from their siblings, which they need to be with their siblings right now. We are seeing dirty clothes on them, many of them have not been bathed, uh, many of them um, and talk about how hungry they are. These children have been falling asleep, some of them during the interviews with us. They have also talked about how dizzy they are, the headaches that they have. We really have a dire situation here, both because of the unsanitary conditions that these children are being kept in, the unhealthy facility that's being run there that's not made for children, and the number of children who are being kept there. This was not a facility that was even on our radar until last week when we found out that children recently have started to be sent there, and then we arrive and we find out that there are over 350 children there when we arrived. Our children are telling us that there have been over 300 children in a single room. If that's true, which it appears to be, then literally the United States is warehousing children in a Lord of the Flies scenario, and we've got to do something about it. Rabbi who is now in New York and previously was a rabbi in Berkeley uh, posted this prayer and it's called The Newly Huddled Tender Masses by Rabbi Menachem Creditor. We haven't the words. We are worse than witnesses. We are complicit in the abuse of children. We sin this very moment. The horror of children torn from parents sends shockwaves through our very souls, so we turn away. Remembering when children were taken to baths, never to see their parents again, never again. So, Holy One, what could we possibly show you to be worthy of the comfort we seek? Nothing. There's little we can show you today. We show up with tears and signs, protest songs and prayers, and while our children sleep in cages. Our children our cages. God, the pain and sadness you must be feeling as your image is locked up and abused, as your children are torn from their children, as cruelty inhabits the seat of American power, what rage you must feel at our wanton sinning. Our country is actively sinning, quickly distracted by callous clothing and damned by a short attention span. It would be easy, God, to blame one person in one office for this evil, but we know better. We've witnessed entire societies stand idly by the misuse of legal systems to oppress others. We've seen refugees damned to death by quotas and rules. It would be easy, God, to give up. Hatred is in the air. Where to turn, how to help. God, what would you have us do now? Perhaps there is hope. Perhaps. If we would but cry your tears, burn your rage, burn with your rage, act with your tender mercy, and vote with an eye toward eternity, please, God, protect us from numbness, keep our children's pain present in our hearts, and encode our next deeds with your love. So as a result of the news this week, and what we feel is the 
Christ-like response required to such news, we are going to move a a bit of a shift from our Deuteronomy series and focus in on um, what God's words actually have to say about situations like this. And the title of this message is, is Break Every Chain. Pray with me. Jesus, turn our hearts towards you. Give us ears that hear and eyes that see. Move us and change us. Show us what to do. Amen. So one of the things that helps me in times like this um, is to know that the God that I serve and the Bible that I read um, gives some words to this. God calls this evil and wicked. God does not mince any words on this. And I have very much sort of like raged for the last few days and read a thousand articles and texted and tweeted and raged. And I think that's not going to be really helpful. So what I prefer to do is just let God's word speak. Now, I can't even tell you the number of verses in the Bible where God talks about care and concern for the oppressed, for the stranger, for the orphan, for the widow, for the poor among us. It's sort of cover to cover almost on every page. But here are a few. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. To oppress is to start to devise evil. Psalm 82. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, stop, take a beat, rest, and think about that. How long are we going to judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. God is angry. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. They know no limit in deeds of wickedness. They do not judge with justice the cause of the orphan to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? And shall I not bring retribution on a nation such as this? God is angry. Because the Lord watches over the oppressed. The Lord hears the cry of the oppressed. Psalms 10, Psalm 10, verses 13 and 14. Why do the wicked renounce God and say in their hearts, you will not call us to account? See, there's a whole bunch of people think that there's no cost for this. There's no accountability being brought. But the psalmist declares then, but you do see God. You do see. Indeed, you note trouble and grief that you may take it into your hands. The helpless commit themselves to you and you have been the helper of the orphan. God sees. And when the helpless have no other place to go, you know where they go? They go to God. And God sees. God hears. Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. 
This evil that is happening does not reflect God's character and heart. It is not representative of what anyone would ever call a Christian nation. This is not in any way defensible from a human standpoint, let alone the standpoint of a follower of Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. God of everything. Not partial and takes no bribe. Who executes justice for the orphan and the widow and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger. For you were strangers once in Egypt. We're talking about that terms of the covenant and how the covenant's going. God starts with right away, here is my character, and here is how I will care for the most vulnerable amongst you. And guess what? Because you are made in my image, you are to do the same. You are to reflect. We are to reflect God's character in this world. Amazingly, in God's economy and in the book of Deuteronomy, strangers aren't just tolerated. It's not just assumed that they'll happen to be there. Deuteronomy chapter 16, rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female slaves, the Levites resident in your town, as well as the strangers, the orphans, and the widows who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and diligently observe these statutes. In the middle right here of Deuteronomy, God is giving instructions on how to keep the festivals and the feasts at the place where God will choose to put his name. God doesn't just tolerate the stranger. He commands us to invite them to the party, right into the center of all that God is doing, right where God puts God's name, the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the poor, they are to be there at the party. They're not tolerated. They're invited. They're encouraged to come. And ultimately what gives me a little bit of hope is this incredible Psalm I praise God because God is the father of all. In Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6, sing to God. Sing praises to God's name. Lift up a song to God who rides upon the clouds. His name is the Lord. Be exultant before God, father of orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God gives the desolate a home to live in. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity But the rebellious live in a parched land. I love this psalm. I told Kevin he has to write a song that just goes with this psalm. People join in. Like if we could just sing praises to God. Because God is the father of orphans and the protector of widows. And gives the desolate a home to live in. Is this not good news? God is not on the side of those who would deny basic human rights to the most vulnerable amongst us. The text is clear. In fact, loving the stranger in the Bible is not only commanded, but it comes with blessings. You guys want to get blessed? Let's start loving some strangers. Deuteronomy chapter 24, 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, don't go back to get it. It'll be left for the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. We're to be generous. We're to be considerate. We're to, we're to leave things for others to also have. It's not all about how much we can get. Loving the stranger 
comes with a blessing. Not loving the stranger, Deuteronomy 27, 19. Cursed be anyone who deprives the stranger, the orphan, and the widow of justice, and all the people shall say amen. Not loving the stranger is a curse. Welcoming strangers, the Bible tells us, is welcoming God's very presence. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly and justly one with another, if you don't oppress the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods or your own hurt, your own, to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever, Jeremiah 7. God dwells with us when we keep these concerns for the poor and the orphan, when we fight for that justice. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, let mutual love continue and don't neglect to show hospitality to the strangers for by doing that, some of us have entertained angels without knowing it. It's a commentary. The writer of Hebrews is making a commentary back to Genesis 18 when Abraham in the heat of the day sat in the opening of his tent and saw from a distance three strangers coming towards him, got up and ran and welcomed them and it turned out to be the angels of the Lord. And Hebrews making commentary on that. Show hospitality to strangers because, hey, you could end up with Abraham and start to entertain the very presence of God in your midst. So, y'all, we have work to do. We have work to do. Jeremiah 22, 3. The Lord proclaims, do what is just and right. Rescue the oppressed from the power of the oppressor. Don't exploit or mistreat the refugee, the orphan, and the widow. We are commanded to rescue the oppressed from the power of the oppressor. This is the work that's in front of us. Micah, he has told you, or modal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We have work to do. We are commanded to do this good work. It's what we were created for. We have work to do. It's not enough to say, isn't that sad? It's not enough for us to just sit here and feel bad about what's going on. We're supposed to actually do something about it. Book of James, chapter 1, 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Maybe this isn't about, like, being unstained by the world. It's not about compromising and I watched a rated R movie or I listened to something that had curse words in it. Maybe keeping ourselves from the stain of this world is the very power and the principality that's causing us to just go, oh, well, it's their fault. They came to the border. I think that being unstained by the world is when we start to say, no, no, God's economy and God's levels of justice are the things that we have to be about no matter what the world is telling us. Even the hopelessness that comes into place where we think, what can we do? How can we make a difference? The Bible actually calls us again in Hebrews 13 to align ourselves with the oppressed. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. 
and those who are being tortured as that you yourselves were being tortured. And I can't imagine the pain of having your child ripped from your arms. And if that isn't torture, I don't know what is. Or as a child being ripped away from my sibling in a group, let alone my parent, just my sibling in a group, just for cruelty's sake. Jesus' words on this are very clear. There's no excuse. The words are clear. He sets it up and he says, okay, so Matthew chapter 25, in those last days, the people will come before and as one separates a sheep from goats, so they will be separated from the right and the left. And the Lord will say, come to me, you who are righteous, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you took care of me. When as a stranger, you welcomed me in. And the righteous will say to him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or sick or in prison or a stranger? And Jesus says, whenever you did it to one of the least of these, you did it unto me. And those on the left ask the same question. When? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or sick or in prison or a stranger? Whenever you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And you just feel at that point that everybody's just going to pick up that giant millstone of anyone who causes a single child to stumble and just go jump in the lake. Jesus' words on this are very clear. And if we are silent now, then I honestly firmly believe that we are complicit. God accounts for the shed blood of our brothers and sisters. This teaching of Jesus is so central to Christianity that a person who was recently on trial because he provided water and humanitarian aid to the people wandering through the desert who are being forced into only those paths because the the proper points of entry are so metered that nobody can get in. And then they've made it so that you can only go through the most frightening, most difficult spot. And in just the last few years, deaths have gone from like 11 a year to 200 plus. So some Christians responded by putting out water, by trying to put out supplies, and they've been arrested and charged with a crime. And the jury this last week was not able to find and convict because they argued that providing water for the thirsty is religious freedom for the Christian. This is our religious obligation. We are obligated, commanded, required by the teachings of our text to care for the orphan, for the stranger, for the widow. We are obligated by our text to give water to someone who is thirsty and to give food to somebody who is hungry. To visit those in prison, to care for the sick, and to welcome in the stranger. We are commanded to do so, and it is our obligation as followers of Jesus. And in this moment, this is going to be the hard push that hopefully we're going to start to hear more often, although I don't hear it enough, that while we do this, it's easy maybe to think of the innocent ones 
that are there and then to demonize the guards or demonize particular leaders in our nation. But Jesus is very clear that we are to pray for them too. They are in prison too, aren't they? Have you, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Don't fall into the hate trap. Every single person in this scenario is made in the image of God. Not all are reflecting God's divine image right now. But the person who just needed the job and just needs to pay for their family to be able to have food on their table and live, that border patrol agent, the guards that are there, they need our love and compassion and prayer too. They need to be set free also. Y'all, we are not powerless. We are not lost. There's this amazing church, this Mennonite church, the San, San Antonio Mennonite church. And their pastor, John Garland, has started for many years. They've been offering therapy to traumatized migrants as they come up. So they provide therapy specifically for people who've made it through significant trauma that caused them to need to flee, that caused them then to to risk everything on the journey. And in this story, he published it in Christianity Today just this week. He talks about how ministering to the migrant and to the immigrant and to the refugee has changed their church so much and, and offered so much. And he talks about this amazing woman named Myra who flees certain violence, bringing her children along with her, doing the best that she can. And she can't, she's not quite literate. But her father, from a very early age, would tell her over and over and over again to put on the armor of God. And every morning, this woman, as she was traveling, as she was trying to save and and shelter her children from harm, as she was trying to find any way to get to the next step, she would pray over them every morning the full armor of God. And her life is difficult. Children have been ripped away from her. Her father has been deported. But still, she finds power in this God who promises to listen to the oppressed, to care for the poor. She finds hope here. She prays this prayer from Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. She knows that this is our struggle. It's not against one individual or one group of individuals or one branch of government or one political party or one arm of law enforcement. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the powers and the principalities, the structures of existence that are created through those things. And every morning and every night, she found comfort and hope in saying, all right, kids, Let's withstand the evil today. Fasten the belt of truth around your waist. 
Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as for shoes for your feet, we'll make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Take the shield of faith, and you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. Keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. If she can do this, can't we? Can't we, in all of our comfort in this room, can't we stand here and say, I'm ready to put on the full armor of God and to take up the struggle against the powers and the principalities in this world that would seek to abuse and harm the most vulnerable amongst us? If she can pray this over her children and still pray it today and still believe it today as she is continuing to see more and more difficulties come into her life, can't we pray it too? Can't we find enough courage to take some action? Can't we today say, okay, all right, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fasten the belt of truth. Here's what the Bible says about the orphan and the widow and the stranger and the poor. Here's what the Bible tells me to go do. This is the truth that I know in my life. And I'm going to ask God to give me everything I need so that I can go in against that struggle. That's not about one person, one individual, one thing. It's an epic struggle that's been going on for all of humanity. But we are charged by our Savior to do something about it. We have some hope and some action of how to respond to what is happening in our world. First of all, we'd like to say that in a few moments, we'll take communion together, okay? And as we do so, the table is open, and remember that this table is for all who are hungry and all who are thirsty. It is open to all. And as we take communion together, remember all of our sisters and brothers who are not able today to have the comfort of an open table with the bread and the wine, the juice that is provided for us. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Will you pray with us? The responsive prayer that Pastor Kevin's going to lead us in and the words to respond to will be on the screen. Heavenly Father, you declare that all people are made in your image. In the image of God, you created us. We confess confess that we have failed to recognize the divine image in one another. We confess that we have divided over nationality, legal status, ethnicity, race, religion, and gender. Gracious Lord, you instruct us in your holy scriptures to care for the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the stranger, ensuring justice for them in our land. We confess confess to you that we have have neglected your commands and often often benefited from from unequal laws that give us opportunities and rights merely based on the location of our birth without seeking to extend those rights to those born beyond our borders. We, too 
often forgotten or avoided those who are vulnerable, distancing ourselves from their physical needs and from the opportunity for relationship. Lord, your word reminds us over and over again that we too were once strangers in a strange land. We confess that we have forgotten the hardships faced by our ancestors, forgetting that we too were in search of the freedoms and opportunities that generations of immigrants have sought. Loving Father, you command six days of work and a Sabbath rest on the seventh day for every animal and every human being, regardless of status or nationality. Lord, you command us to do no wrong to a stranger in our land, treating them as one of us, loving the stranger as ourself. We confess that our systems and powers continue to be irreparable harm upon the sojourners to our land, separating children from parents and husbands from wives limiting opportunities for work and education for young people brought to this country as children and not loving these neighbors as ourselves. Jesus, your word commands us to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels unaware. We confess that rather than showing love for strangers, mindful that they are blessings from you, we have too often feared them and maligned their humanity with false rumors of disease, terror, or criminality. Lord, we know that your word declares that anyone who deprives a stranger, the orphan, and the widow of justice shall be cursed and put on trial. Lord, have mercy on us and forgive us. God, rich in mercy, unfailing in love, You have made us alive together with Christ. It is by your grace that we are saved and raised up with Jesus to new life in him. And this is not our own doing. It is the free gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus, Jesus, forgive us, us, strengthen strengthen us, embolden us us to be instruments of your love, your compassion, and your justice in this world. In your name, set us free from the powers and principalities of this world that are bent towards evil. In the name of Jesus, break every chain binding us all. And all God's people together said, Amen. Amen. As we sing, you're welcome to the table. spark together we can do something about this I look around this room and I see people who desperately love Jesus and desperately want to walk in his ways and love all of God's people let's do this together today we confessed and we've repented and now the key core thing additionally is to now go in the opposite direction that we've been heading yes so we're going to move to action Our action steps have been to pray and to continue to pray that the power of Jesus can help us to break all of these chains, that we will see every single one of these children set free from this detention center, that we will start to see families reunited, that we will start to see the sick get well, the prisoners set free. So join us and continue to pray. Today we are going to write. We are going to write postcards. Our kids are going to write postcards. We are going to have postcards in the back for you already 
stamped, ready to go, available for you to write out to your representatives, the White House, different members of Congress. We're going to take a big group photo outside. We've done this before. We're going to all stand out there together. Kevin's going to get the big ladder. We're going to stand together and say, you are not forgotten. We are aware that you are there and that you are stuck and without rights and without attorneys. And we have not forgotten you. And we are praying for you and we are working hard to set you free. So there's poster boards at the back with Sharpies. And you can write whatever Bible verse or whatever saying. Keep families together and close the camps now. Whatever it is you want to say. And after we write our letters and write our signs, we're going to meet out there in about 10 minutes and take our photo together. And then what we want you to do is be loud. Spread it on social media, whatever you do on social media. Spread it around. Share it with people, friends. There is a group of followers of Jesus right here in Silicon Valley and Palo Alto. And we have said, no, this is not going to continue to stand. And we're going to do something about it. And the last thing we're going to do today is we're going to give. There's an incredible organization in Texas where these most difficult detainment camps are happening right now called Raices. And they find legal advocacy. They will help post bond so people can get out and reunite with their families. Spark today is going to match every dollar given up to $2,000. You can give more than that, but Spark will make their own donation of dollar for dollar matching up to $2,000 to Rices to make sure we can start to see people getting out. People getting out of this system. Did I forget anything? Oh. There is a handout that um, is on the rows as well as on the tables, and there's uh, the leftovers are on the back table. Much of the information that Danielle just mentioned to you is actually written down, so in case you need a reminder about that, please take one. There should be enough for one for everybody here, so take as many as you need. Um, And then we'll also be sending this information out in a special email um, for all of you who are on the Spark email list. It also gives you some framing if you want to call and leave a message for your congressional representatives or for the White House, what to say. And Julie Lifcott Hames, who came and spoke, um, what, like six months ago here, or a year ago, sometime Almost ago, a year ago now, at yeah. Spark. She is a local here in Palo Alto. She is incredible. She's an attorney. She's a sociologist. And she's angry. And she's getting in her car right now and driving to Clint, Texas. Seriously. And she's invited all of you to go. So any one of us that wants to try to get to Clinton, Texas, she's going to be demonstrated outside of this detention facility on Tuesday at noon. So you get to fly to El Paso or drive to El Paso, and Julie is there. Um, she'll be leaving tomorrow morning. She's gathering things. And if you want more information on that, that's here as well, and we can connect you with her. It's at the Best Western. I don't think it's probably a lot of money. Best Western in El Paso. Tuesday at noon. And we'll find more. This is just the beginning. We're not going to do this one thing on a Sunday and then just, you know, feel good about ourselves and not do it again, okay? Until the last kid is out, we're going to be committed to making sure that these children get back to their families and are not in detention. Will you join us? Amen. If you have more questions, you want to get even more involved, please contact the rescue team here at Spark. Stacy Ashigaki Arevalo and Tom and Tammy and Kelly and Alyssa and so many others. So if you're involved in the rescue team or you want to get further involved or you have resources, you guys look around this room, look at the resources here. We're going to get loud. I know it feels like we're in California. Who can we complain to? Everyone already agrees with us. It's not true, right? So we're going to get loud and together we can do something. Yeah. Together we can do something. Imagine if it was your kid. Imagine if it was your kid. Let's do something. There's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus has called us to shift this tide. We can do something.
Amen? All right. May we be empowered by the Spirit. May you be empowered by the Spirit to break every chain of oppression, to welcome every orphan, to love every soul, to be the greatest expression of humanity here on earth because of your relationship with Jesus. Go and be that in his name. Amen. See you guys next week.